Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. You know, every day on I Work For Him, I try to bring on great guests, great topics that'll challenge the way you and I think about our workplace and how it's connected to our faith. Today, we got a famous person on the show today. Not that some people on my show are infamous, but today we have a famous person from Tampa Bay that has written an outstanding book that until today we've never met face to face, but his book was already in my stack of books before I found out he was going to be able to be on my show. I'd like to welcome Barry Banther, author, speaker, business coach, extraordinaire. Barry Banther, welcome to I Work For Him. Jim, thank you. I've looked forward to this. I'm excited about it and everything you just said, I'm all in. <laughs> That's awesome. I appreciate that. Well, we just signed you up while we were waiting for the show. We signed up for the I Work For Am Nation. When you were speaking today to the Christian Chamber of Commerce, you started going through, hey, one of the ways you can impact your workplace, start praying for the people in your workplace. I'm like, I tell people that every day. You know, Jim, that's something that I've been sharing with clients for years. When a client who's a believer would ask me, you know, what do I need to be doing? And I would say, well, how many people report to you? And they would say, well, I've got seven or ten. And this is sort of old school, but I would say write their names down on an index card. Put that index card on your dashboard. And on the drive-in, eyes wide open, but pray for each one of them. And I had a client once say, is that really going to help them? I said, you know, I'm not sure, but I know it's going to help you. 
And, 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 that, when, and when we pray, that's what happens. Your perspective, you're going to have God's mind, God's heart, the Lord's will for that person you're praying for. And that's what I learned myself on my own commute. When I used to work, for, when I drove from Indian Rocks Beach to Orlando, really Claire, Claremont Haines City, <laughs> every day, I made that commitment to start praying for people and praying for the people I work for, not because anybody told me to. I just thought, well, that's, well, I read it in an Oz Hillman sure, uh, sure, email. Yeah. And, and, and that's what happened. It wasn't that their lives changed. It's that my heart changed. Right. And right. that's the power of prayer. Exactly. And that was an unexpected benefit I never expected. And, and it brought such healing. And it gave me the ability to start praying with people. And it gave me the ability to also help lead one of my bosses to Christ eventually. But it wasn't, it was because of that transformation of my own heart. And, and if you're listening and you're not a boss, you don't own your own business, maybe you work, maybe you're out on the road on a, on a route today and you don't own the business, but praying for the people you work for and praying for them and praying for what they need, because that's the blessing that's going to come to your life by doing that. You're going to be blessed. Your perspective on them is going to change. And radically, it's going to change their perspective on you. And that's the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's one of the mysteries. There's, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of them I'm still exploring. I mean, I've been, a wa- I've been walking with Christ since I was 13, and every day I find out something new, and I learn to become, I learn to be more and more dependent on Him each and every day. But it is a, it's a challenge because I'm a doer. Like, you, you're a doer. You're a guy that goes out and gets it done. You've mm-hmm. worked with huge companies, and, and, and it's hard to just sit back and go, okay, Lord, but what do you want me to be spending my time on? Right. We're going to talk today about your book, A Leader's Gift, and it says it all as I just I, I summarize your book. This is a this is a verse I picked for you, Matthew 23, 11. The greatest among you must be a servant. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I summarize your book. As I read your book, and like I said, it was in my list before I found out you were going to speak in at the chamber today. And as I read your book, I was astounded at how clear you made that message. Yet you wrote this book so that it would be accepted not only in in biblical, biblically based audiences, but also in secular audiences. Well, you know, Jim, here's the great thing: we're we're living at a time, the greatest time in human history, to be in business, either as an employee, an employer, or an owner, as a Christian, because the very principles that the Scripture espouses, especially Paul in Colossians, about pouring your whole heart into your job, seeing the job working for Him, as so appropriately said, and I hope everyone listening, if you haven't, do what I did just before the show, become part of I Work For Him Nation, go to the website, sign up now. By doing that, for the first time in human history, the biblical principles conform with what the best business counselors are telling us. This is how you succeed in business. Start with Peter Drucker, come all the way up from Drucker through Blanchard, through so many others, uh, to Mark Sanborn, and they'll all tell you the same thing. It's your perspective that'll make the difference. We're talking today with author, speaker, business consultant. He's right here from Tampa Bay, but he's been all over the world. Barry Banther. Thanks, well, Jim. I'm so glad to have you here today. This oh, is a lot I'm of excited. Fun. I'm excited. I'm, I'm glad to be part of I Work For Him Nation. Well, I, I appreciate that. You're, you're really good at promoting stuff. I like that. And what I like is, you know, when I started reading your book, I, I wish I still had the post-it note in here, but it was, I, I read the first chapter. I mm-hmm. always read the first chapter of every book I'm given because you can learn a lot about a book in the first chapter. Right. And I read, I'm like, radio guy. I can't wait to hear the rest of this story. I mean, you got into radio. How young were you when you first got involved in managing in radio stations? Well, I was 13 when I got started in broadcasting and about at about 14 had my own daily show in the in the North Georgia just outside the Metro Atlanta market. And then when I was in my teens in college, I was working in radio, became the director of special projects at the Protestant Radio Television Center in Atlanta shortly after, you know, turning 20. And then at 23, I'm the general manager of a major market station in Baltimore. We were among the first Christian radio stations in America, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Toledo, Los Angeles, Miami. Here in Tampa, it was the old WINQ, to mention another old set of call letters. It's got a different set today. But here's what I didn't know, Jim. I knew the Lord. I came to Christ when I was a young boy. 
I had a lot of fervor for the Lord. I thought on Sunday and on Wednesday night, boy, that was important. And at work, I knew I had to be honest, but I really didn't understand how Christ was going to live through me. I didn't understand that I needed to yield to him in working with my associates. All of my employees were older than me. I didn't understand how he wanted to work through me with our vendors, with our customers. And that was a journey I had to go on. In the first six or seven years of my journey, while I'm having significant business success, I wasn't having success in my faith walk because the way I was managing my employees and the way I was managing that business, while we were succeeding on the bottom line, we were succeeding in growing listeners, I wasn't succeeding in those relationships. And it took a couple of well-intentioned people in my life, one an employee and one a programmer, who wrote me a marvelous letter. And it wasn't marvelous when I received it, when I opened this letter. Because <laughs> you quote that in the book, and I'm like, wow, So in, in, So in the letter, they said to me, Barry, we love you, and we want to work with you, but here are some challenges we have. And those challenges, I had a choice. And you know, I bet we've got people listening to us right now. You've got something going on in your business life, and you can go either way. That's where I was. I could either say, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm succeeding. Uh, God's blessing this. I'm not going to listen to them. I went a different direction. Now, it didn't happen instantly. When I went the different direction and said, I've got to better understand who Christ is in my life. I've got to better understand how I yield to him. It's not a matter of me working this up, but how can I let the Lord love people through me every day? And so I made that choice and began that journey, which would take another the rest of my life, but it took an initial five or six or seven years before I understood that and could really be in the place where I could say with Paul, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. So if you're listening and you're in that kind of crossroads place, boy, pray about it. Seek out the advice of other people. And sometimes the hard thing is the best thing. In fact, my experience has been the hard decisions that God has allowed to be in my life have ended up being the best decisions I made. And I, and of course, I mean, that's because the Lord, well, those hard decisions, when you lean on the Lord, mm-hmm. then you know that you're right where you need to be when that's you're making right. those hard decisions. That's and right. it seems like the easy decisions, and that's where I struggle some days, is, is the easiest, the easy decisions are not so easy to depend on the Lord for. It's the hard decisions like, oh, I got to pray about this. But the easy ones, sometimes we skirt over. Our most valuable inventory, no matter how big or small your business is, our most valuable inventory isn't on a shelf. It's not inside a disc. It's not in a hard drive. It gets in a vehicle, gets in a truck, gets on a motorcycle, and goes home every night. And when we read the Scripture, when we read the New Testament and the Old Testament, our challenge is not in the product, whatever that might be, and it doesn't matter what it is. It's those relationships we have. Can people see Christ in us? Can my employees see Christ in me? Doesn't mean that I don't make tough decisions. Doesn't mean that I don't evaluate them. Doesn't mean I don't coach them. But they're sensing it's coming from a much more personal place, that I've got their best interest at heart. And that requires something of me. I can't just get up and say, I'm going to do that. No, and it takes it takes work. I, I love it. I, I know you've worked with a lot of businesses around Tampa Bay, and I know one of the executives who recently retired from a local uh, a company, and he talked about how he prayed over the desks of each one of his people early in the morning. Right. And, and as he shared that story with me, I'm like, that's just fantastic. Because we, the people, and a lot of us get very caught up in what we, what we get caught up in working in the business instead of working on the business. And people, right. people don't, a lot of managers haven't been taught, a lot of leaders haven't been taught that in order to work on your business, you need to work with your people. You need to work on your people. You know, Jim, I learned this in a unique place, attending a lot of retirement celebrations. I had clients who would regularly have retirement parties for people that were retiring. And when they had the retirement party and they had the retiree up front, no one stood up and said, you helped me pack more orders than anybody else did. No one stood up and said, you know, this was just tremendous because you could always figure out how we could make more money. It was always about the relationships. And relationships trump everything else in work. Leadership is not something we do. 
It's someone we become, and it's a journey for all of our life, but we have to get on that journey. I've worked with managers who've said to me, I've been a manager for 20 years, and I spend the day with them, and I realize, no, they've been a manager one year 20 times. They've really not grown, and that's my <laughs> challenge. That's why I wrote this book, so, that we, we, so we could all be challenged to grow. I'm still growing today, maybe, maybe growing more today than I ever have, and understanding how can I let Christ live through me, minister through me, praying this prayer, Lord, love this client through me. Give me wisdom, Lord, to help them in advising them. I work with a lot of large family-owned businesses on strategic planning, management planning, succession planning, leadership development, and they all have a unique strand to it. It can't be one size fits all. And that's why I like about I work for him, because that means that my first commitment is praying for them, and that's the channel the Lord's going to use to give me wisdom about that client. And you've had such a privilege to be involved in those family-owned businesses. And, right. and we all know, anybody that's been involved in a family-owned business knows that there's a lot of dysfunction. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> My wife comes from a long chain of uh, of entrepreneurs, and, and so I learned entrepreneurial stuff, not from my side of the family, but from my wife's side of the family. And it is, you see a lot of the dysfunction, but you also see a lot of really, especially when Christ is at the center of it, the ability to forgive and move on and, and work together. It, it's, it is just... Business has so many different pieces to it. But when I started to learn that business was about the people instead of the stuff, because I sold insurance for 20 years, mm -hmm. it was never about what I sold them because all I sold was peace of mind. I never really sold them anything unless they actually needed it. Well, Jim, that's something you and I have learned that we have in common, both being business coaches, business consultants. I'm, I'm able to be with 10, 15, 20 different families. The typical family I'm with, they don't know anything but their family. And they don't understand that you really are pretty typical. And the discussions and the differences and the debates you have, they're pretty common. And here's the great news. There are some common answers, too. And so that's the advantage of having a business coach or a business consultant who's just got a wider array of experience that can help you see that. You know, I, I loved what you when we talked today at, at the Christian Chamber, you, you mentioned a lot of things. But, you know, on this show, I often say that, you know, you know, your workplace is your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus people get a chance right. to meet. But you said something, you, you took that paradigm and you shifted even further, not not just trying to be Jesus so that people can experience Christ through you, but you said for those difficult, for, for everybody in your life, to see Jesus in them. Right. Explain, that concept was a new concept for me because I, I'm not sure people see Jesus in me all the time, but I know I struggle with certain, I drive in Tampa Bay all day long, you get to fly places. <laughs> I, I drive up and down Elmerton Road like we just did, I drive on 275 and 75, it is hard to love those people and see Jesus in them when they're cutting you off. Well, the Bible tells us clearly we're made in His image. A lot of people try to scrape that image off. You know, they try to they try to scrape it off. When I was little, we'd take a nickel, put it on the Tallulah Falls Railroad, hide, train would run, run over it, and you could barely see the engraving of the, the head of that great leader that's on the nickel. A lot of people use alcohol, drugs, perversion. They try to scrape off the image of God, but it's there. Those unborn children in the womb of a mother who's trying to make a decision, that child is valuable because it bears the image of God. Life is valuable. And so when I'm working with someone that, I, that may not be a believer, Lord, let me see your creation in them. And Lord, love your creation through me, which may means I'll have to sacrifice some here, never being complicit with their sin, never agreeing with them on something that's wrong, but loving them. Very few people, think about this, Jim, very few people come to Christ through the testimony, the witness, or the life of someone they hate. It just hardly ever happens. <laughs> well, I would say I don't know that anybody would ever come to Christ from the life at bearing on the witness of somebody that they ate. Right. Uh, oh, so you were being sarcastic. Okay, I got it, I got it. <laughs> but, I mean, and that's a good point because, you know, there was, you know, growing up in my faith in the 80s, there was that, you know, the four spiritual laws, you got you, you to go out and you got to just, you know, you should be street walking, sharing, the, sharing, sharing your testimony. And I'm like, yeah, but really? 
how do you know if those people, you got to help these people really grow in a life of Christ. And, and why are they going to trust you? They don't even know who you are. Let me give you a quick example. I won't name the company. I have a client, a wonderful client, and he had two leaders in his company that had to be dismissed. They violated some real basic, critical value tenets of the company. So he could just dismiss them and say, you brought this upon yourself. But he's a man of faith. He's a man who's a Christ follower. He, he asked himself, how can they see Jesus in me? How can we still do the right thing and yet do everything we can to minister to them? So I went with him as we traveled to these other cities. He sat with these men. He dismissed them. He told them how they were being dismissed. And in the same breath said, but we're not going to let your family be abandoned. I'm going to make sure your wife gets a paycheck for six months so the rent will be paid, the groceries will be on the table, your kids will be taken care of. I'm willing to pay for counseling for you and for some job training for you to help you not make these kind of poor moral decisions. I will do everything I can to help you grow through this. That'll be your choice, but we're going to take care of your family. So when we let Christ live through us, there's going to be a sacrifice. Isn't that what his life ultimately led him to? But the wonderful thing about it, Jim, is that when Christ is living through us and we make a sacrifice for our employees or a sacrifice for our customers, there's joy in that sacrifice. And that sacrifice proves the point what a man sows he reaps because I share several stories in the book of people I worked with and it was a difficult circumstance and decades later how that had come to full fruition and there was a great blessing in their life and mine. So if you're listening and you're managing people, let me strongly encourage you to pray, Lord, love this person through me. Lord, show me how I can encourage them. Help me to do the right thing, the right business principle, but at the same time, as my dad taught me in those mountains in North Georgia, North Carolina, solve the problem, save the person. I, I really should just, that's why I was living in a little silence afterwards. I can't say it any better. I mean, this is amazing. And Barry, as you look at the impact on those guys' lives, you know, yes, they were fired for something they did, but the company took care of the family. Right. Despite what they did, which is really showing Christ's love, because really, somebody asked a question today at the Christian Chamber, and I love the question. Like, what do I do when I'm in court, you know, fighting a lawsuit, and the people on the other side of the lawsuit are not very easy to love. And what you said to her was just amazing. Well, I'm going to pray that you have lots of opportunities with difficult clients in order to be able to be Christ in that in that that venue, the court. That's right. Because it is that is not a place where it's, I mean, you're always, if you're in court against somebody, the other person really doesn't like you. Exactly. The fruit of the Spirit, which is the presence of Christ, we can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. I don't believe we can. We yield to Him which means I have to daily keep a short account. I have to daily live in confession with him. He says he's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us, heal us. If I live, if I focus on living that right relationship with him and saying, now, Lord, produce your fruit through me, he'll produce that fruit even in those who might be my business enemies because it's his work. He's doing that. I'm still doing the right thing. I'm still managing the business in the right way, but there's an added benefit, and that's the presence of Christ. And ultimately, that's what our life is destined to be, that they will see Christ in us. You know, when we were talking earlier today, before the Christian Chamber meeting, that you started writing this book, One Direction, and your editor came back and said, no, you need to take a different direction. But what an amazing thing to have a leadership book, because, you know, until you said it today, I never really thought about the fact that you don't have scripture throughout it. I just mm -hmm. like, this is a biblical vision right. of what it means to be a leader. And I never thought about the fact that you didn't have scripture throughout it. I mean, you mentioned God in here. There, there, there's no, I mean, I, I know he's mentioned in it, right? He's mentioned it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay, I'm like, yes, yeah, I've got yes, underlines. Yes. But, but what was amazing is you have given a tool that can be used in secular business coaching yes. as well as spirit. Or, or, you know, I, I like to, I love to work with Christian business owners, but I love to work with non-Christian business owners too, because they need hope. I mean, the Christian business owners already know the truth. They may not be living the truth. Right. 
the secular business owner that hasn't heard the truth about Christ, they need to hear the truth about Christ. Paul said in Colossians, pour your whole heart into whatever you do. Whatever you do, put your whole heart into it. And that's the first command of Scripture for the Christian business person. So if you're listening today, can you pour your whole heart into your job? Are you holding back? Are you trying to quickly get away from the job so you can get over to something you're volunteering to? No, pour your whole heart into your job. That's the calling. That's Christ's calling upon us in the workplace. Do it. Do that job as though you're doing it for Christ. And so Christ is your employer. So all those negative thoughts you have about your employer and all that criticism— would you say that about Christ? Of course you wouldn't. You're doing this to honor him. There's a great story told about a nurse working overseas in a hospital. She was a Christian. A group of businessmen were working through, walking through, visiting the hospital. They saw her washing the feet of a leper. They looked at her and said, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And she said, neither would I. She's there doing it as unto Christ. So if you'll do that and then recognize, as Paul says in Colossians, he's going to be the rewarder. He will reward that work. We don't know how. I'm not telling you that if you follow these principles, your business will always be financially successful. But I will tell you this, you'll be at peace, and you'll live a life that will honor him. And how much is that worth, the peace? I mean, how many business people have you run into, Barry, that, that they're successful, they got no peace? That's right. I mean, because how much is enough? Oh, just a little bit that's more. Exactly they're right. not at peace. I mean, and that's, you know, when you say, my father-in-law, great, great man of God, has always said to me, Jim, when you, if you have a job that you absolutely love, you'll never go to work a day in your life. That's right. And And... And I love that because that is true. I've had some jobs that have been, I have to pull myself into the workplace. But when I'm on the radio, I feel God's glory because yeah. it is, this is fun because we're challenging people and I'm learning. I teach myself each and every day. I mean, it's so much fun. Hey, Tanya from Tampa and Marianne from Holiday, thanks for so much for listening to I Work For Him and for calling in. We'll get these books out to you. I'm headed out of town a couple for a couple of days, uh, making a trip up to uh, Iowa. But when I get back in town, these things will get out to you early next week. So thank you so much. I know some other people called in. Sorry that you didn't get a book today. Just always be listening. You never know what we got to give away. Barry, we when we're talking about presenting the gospel, you mentioned again today when you're speaking at the Christian Chamber, you know, that that you used to pound people with Jesus. Right. And then you realize that didn't work. Well, no, it doesn't work for eternity, and I don't think it works even in the, in the temporal, because we're, we're no longer living in an era when it's enough to persuade someone into the kingdom. It's not an intellectual proposition anymore. They have to see Christ. They want to see the proof. And the, the proof— The reality, right. And the reality—and here's the great news. No matter who I am, no matter how much I've failed, Christ wants to live through me. He wants people to see that. In the book, I outline five gifts— Five things I've discovered that successful leaders do to earn the right to be followed. The gift of openness. Get, get rid of the prejudice. Be open to people, regardless of age, gender. Well, whomever they are, be open to them as a person because Christ created them. Be willing to spend time with them. Invest the time. Be willing to encourage them, to appreciate them, to listen to them. And all five of those, as you heard me say them, find their home in the Scripture, don't they? L leadership is not something we do. Thank you. It's someone we become. And if we try to use the latest management trick, the latest motivational trick, it's going to be seen. We're trying to manipulate people. But if I'm working on myself to become the kind of person that people will want to follow, I'm earning the right to be followed, and they'll follow me. And we have great examples of that in business as well as in other professions, but in business particularly, examples of men and women who understood these five basic gifts. The five basic gifts that I talk about in the book, the gift of openness. The willingness to be open to people, and that's very important today when you've got five generations at work at the same time. So, and explain to me what openness means, because a lot of, uh, I mean, obviously old school managers are under the impression that you can't get close to your people mm -hmm. because you don't want, because you, you, you may have to fire them someday, so you can't be vulnerable so think, with them. Th now, think about that. 
I'm going to take the risk of destroying my business by not getting close to you because i got to make sure I can fire you one day. I mean, that's foolishness. It is no, foolishness, and, and, but, and, but you know what I'm talking about. Exactly. You're exactly. a little older than I am. You've seen it. I mean, people— I'm a lot older than you are. <laughs> but— Here's what here's the, here's the myth. The myth is that if I getting close means I've got to go out and spend personal time with you. No, that's not necessary. It means at work you're open to people. In the book, I catalog what we call 33 things you need to know about people. Th- these are things you need to know about your employees. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a company. They've said, I've got an employee. I don't know if he's worth keeping. See if you can turn him around. I spend some time with that employee. I find out about their family, where they went to school, what's important to them, what motivates them, how they make decisions. And I come back and sit with the owner of the company or their manager, and I share this with them, and they'll go, wow, I didn't know that. In my mind, I'm thinking, you had to overpay me to come in here and find out something you should have known about the people that work for you. They're the most important resource you have. Get to know them. Openness means I want to know who you are. We never feel more valued as a human being than when we think somebody is open to who we are. And if I want to get the best out of people, I have to be open to them. Well, and that's the first thing I do with a business owner, a small business owner that I'm working with, is I always ask them, who are your people? How are you praying for your people? Well, first of all, they're not praying for the people. And, and I said, well, how should you be praying for the people? Well, I don't know. I said, well, that you have to spend time with them to know That's how right. you should be praying That's with right. them. And, and I always make sure that the business owner at least has done a disc on every person so they understand personality, but also a love language test or the managing by appreciation of whichever way you right. want to call it. Right. It's all because of that physical touch. He had to rename it. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it, but really to know how do you communicate love and appreciation to your employee? I mean, that's what's really you got to know. And then the second gift is once you're open to them, you've got to, you've got to invest time in them. You have to spend time with them. And it, I'm not talking about hours, but you've got to make sure that you're touching time with that employee. Here's an amazing thing that will happen. It happens a lot in the Midwest. There'll be a snowstorm. And they I'm can't very leave, familiar with that. They can't leave work. And everybody's trapped for four or five hours. And days later, they give the story that, you know, I, I never really gotten to know my boss. I didn't really get to know my employees. And we were trapped for four hours. And, wow, I've got a different perspective. Well, you can have that perspective without a snowstorm. You've got to invest some time in them. We all have the same number of minutes in every day. It's how we choose those minutes. Uh, Brian Tracy, who's a great friend and endorsed the book that I'm grateful for, Brian said the most important decision. Any manager or owner is making in any given moment is what am I going to do with this minute that's right in front of me? Don't tell me what you're going to do with your days. Tell me what you'll do with your minutes. You've got to be willing to invest time. So now I'm open. I'm investing time. And the third thing. Well, wait, don't see, we got enough time. We can dig a little bit into this because the, the time thing, you know, so many managers today, so many leaders think they have to be doing tasks in order to be able to be efficient. But really, the most efficient use of their time is the investing of themselves in their people. Because if they invest of themselves in their people, all of a sudden they get they get two or three times the rate of return on that investment out of their people. And it, it, you don't need to be a task-oriented leader in today's world. The Society of Human Resource Professionals suggests that when you have turnover, when you have to when you have people who leave that you don't want to leave, uh, it's going to be an out-of-pocket cost, hard cost of about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. So if you've got a position of someone that reports to you and you lose three people over twenty-four months, you you've had about sixty thousand dollars in hard cost walk out the door that you might have could prevented. The survey also indicated that the majority of people who leave a job voluntarily, Jim, they're not leaving the job. They're leaving their boss, and here's what they tell us. He was never there for me. She didn't spend time with me. She didn't know me. Harvard Business Review reported that the majority of employees think my goals don't com- aren't compatible with my company's goals because my boss doesn't know my goals. This is the most valuable inventory you have. Every minute you spend with them is a minute that you're going to get a return on, but checking your email and looking at your phone log and door shutting your office is not going to get that for you. 
but the wor- it's almost like that's the most radical paradigm shift ever yes. in business. Yes. Be- to get a business leader to step back and go, how can I invest in my people? And it's so easy because I'm a guy, I- I'm I'm managing so many things between the radio, which takes up you know it's more le- more than a part time job, which doesn't pay, and the business consulting and the, the merger that Martha and I just went through, the- and the marriage mentoring at night. There's a lot of things, but to be able to take that time and just sit. And pray with your people. I mean, yeah. we, we try at least once a week where we get together yeah. with our people and just, hey, how should we be praying for you specifically? And let's pray. I'm familiar with a leader who had no telephones, no fax machines, no computers, no conferences, no big conventions, no airplanes, no ships, no cars, no trucks. He took 12 people and invested 36 months in them. And thousands of years later, they're still the most significant influence in the history of the human race. The evidence is overwhelming. And take, take apart the fact that he was Christ and it was supernatural. It's a principle that's not changed. Look at great leaders and you'll find one thing in common from the Jack Welches who took part in every single management conference of his team while he was the head at GE, from Sam Walton who visited every single store, knew every single store manager, from Truett Cathy who invested himself completely in his team. You want a model? You want an example? Find a successful business person. They're not cloistered away. They're open to and spending time with the people they lead. Spending time is such a powerful thing. All right, so the gift of listening. That's your third principle that you're talking right. about, the third gift, the gift of listening. I want you to share the space shuttle example because yeah. I, I remember it. I remember watching all of the, 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 the conversations in Congress after Challenger blew up that day. I remember that day in January. Right. I, I, I didn't live here in Florida at that point in time, but I remember that day. Talk about how the gift of listening could have saved lives then and how it still saves lives today. Everyone listening to us who lived here in Tampa Bay remembers we used to look out to the eastern sky down toward the Cape and we'd see the contrails of the space shuttle. Then the contrails would disappear into the atmosphere. And on that very cool, brisk January morning, beautiful blue sky, and an eerie look, the contrails stopped. Tragedy. That night, President Reagan told us that these astronauts touched the face of God. It was one of the most dramatic moments in television for Americans to experience that grief together. And the president put together the Rogers Commission, and he said, we'll get to the bottom of this. But the problem, Jim, wasn't at the bottom. When they got through with all the study, they found the problem was at the top. The NASA leadership would not listen to the people that designed those O-rings. They didn't listen to some of the engineers and some of the flight technicians. And by not listening, they missed the most important information they need. We have a modern-day example today that's what's happening with the GM suit. And there's so many examples from the Toyota uh, situations they had, the GM suit. Think about the big business difficulties you've seen in the last four or five years. And someone has said, I didn't know. Nobody told me. And the response was, you weren't listening. Listening has nothing to do with hearing. It has to do with creating an atmosphere where people feel as though they're valued, that their opinion matters. And when when a person working for you, when a person following you feels valued, then that means they're going to have a different approach. Jesus said, go into your closet, shut the door, and don't think you're going to be successful by your many words. Your Father knows what you need. He, the creator of the universe, says, Jim, I want to spend time with you. How does that make us feel? We, we, valued, we feel course. we feel valued beyond measure, and that's the same opportunity we have not only with our employees but with our spouses and our children. Such an important lesson, and I, and I love that we want to create an atmosphere where people feel free to talk. And that was what that was the biggest thing that I mean it changed NASA forever. That's right, and, and which was good. And you look at all the things that NASA had accomplished, 
and for that for a silly little O-ring to have killed all those people and stopped the space shuttle program for how many years because right. they had to rebuild around it yeah, that never that never really fully recovered and, and one of the right, things right it never right it never recovered and, and if you go to a leadersgift.com a leadersgift.com that's the website for the book I've got a lot of self studies there that you can do that'll help you see how how do you do with these gifts we've got over fourteen videos that you can watch there for free where I talk about each of these gifts. The, and, and in the book, we give you a lot of practical tips. It's not just the theory. Everyone knows they should listen. We try to show you what we've learned from the over 400 engagements that I've been the lead consultant on. Here's the best practice that'll work. And the great news is every one of those practices are compatible with, they're really rooted in the Scripture, from Proverbs all the way through the epistles. Talk to me about the gift of encouragement, the power of a leader's words into his people. It's more valuable than his money. And encouragement, the mistake most people have is they think, well, I'll encourage you afterwards. Your team goes through a big controversy. They go through a difficult situation with a customer, and then you say, way to go, team. Well, anybody can say way to go then. It's believing in the team in the middle of that. The great Bear Bryant, who coached up at the University of Alabama, was once asked, will you never let anybody encourage you on how to coach this team? Coach Bryant said, no, no. He said, anybody in Alabama can tell me how to coach, but I got two rules. Rule number one, you've got to give me that advice on a Saturday afternoon between 2 and 4 o'clock. And rule number two, you've got five seconds. He said, Sunday morning, I'll know how to encourage myself. So <laughs> leaders, leaders, get engaged. A Gallup poll recently discovered that the majority of American employees are disengaged, Jim. They're not engaged. They're not engaged because the leader's not engaging them. When you get in there and encourage them, when they believe in you, when they don't yet know how it's going to turn out, that's when you're creating a lifeline that they know you've got their back. And that's when employees will do extraordinary things when you're encouraging them right in the middle of the conflict. I love that. The the engagement part of it, it, it just, I don't know why it is that leaders have failed to see the people because mm-hmm. people are so valuable. And what's amazing is, and I have seen it, I, and I guess I had learned this the hard way because I know that I have been an abuser of people, certainly before I was even open up the eyes at my workplace in my mission field because I, I looked at my workplace like, Okay, I have my work, and then I have my ministry, but they're not the same thing. But to recognize that really Christ, all he did, I mean, his his business plan was, I'm going to invest in these three guys. I'm going to show them how much I love them. I'm going to, I'm going to die for them. They're going to see the miraculousness of what their Heavenly Father is capable of, and they're going to be included, and they're going to know that I love them, and they can do anything with me. And uh, Jim, here's an illustration I hope won't offend anyone. If you're the lead dog in a sled race, if you're the lead dog, you're the owner, you're the manager, the leader, always remember something. You're the only one smelling fresh air. All those employees behind you who don't get the benefit of what you do every day, they're having to put up with whatever's coming over your shoulder. And so encouraging them is a valuable, valuable thing that not only helps them perform, but causes them to stay with you. Retention is not about money. It's not about benefits. Retention is about relationships. Right. And, and that's and people, again, they underestimate how much it costs you to replace people. Oh, and yes. first of all, finding good people right. is, tough a, is a tough, tough deal because you can't train character. You can't train uh, personality. You can't train work ethic. You can train a skill, but you can't train those things. All right, last thing, the gift of appreciation, you describe it. Appreciation is air and water to an employee. I'm often asked, is there a magic bullet to leadership? I wouldn't call it a magic bullet, but it's the closest thing there is. Because genuine appreciation means that I'm holding up a mirror, and I'm not holding up a mirror that says, Jim, you're too old, you're too young, you're too short, you're too tall, you're the wrong gender. I'm holding up a mirror that says, look what I see in you. 
Look at, look at the strength I see in you. What happens when an employee knows that every time you come down the hall, you're going to catch them doing something right? Appreciation is not flattery. In the book, I go into great detail on how you do this. Appreciation is not, oh, you're great, you're good. That's flattery, that's abhorrent, that's manipulative. Appreciation means, for example, Jim, this is a real strength I see in you. You have a passion for the people who listen to this show. You've got me fully prepared, and it's been evident today. Your strength is that passion. Help people see what they do best, and they'll help you win. Barry, you said, but I can say today with complete confidence that when you lead others by sowing openness, time, listening, encouragement, and appreciation, you'll reap a harvest greater than you ever expected. What are we going to reap? Well, in many cases, you'll reap a financial harvest. There will be a benefit. And maybe that financial harvest will only be a great job that managed you to finance your life as you go through. But here's the real harvest. You'll be able to look back in your life and see the people you've influenced, the families you've influenced, and you'll hopefully prayerfully get to live long enough that you'll hear those stories, that they'll be able to share with you at those retirement parties. You know, it's when you listen to me. It's when you encouraged me when I was going through that challenge in my home. It's when you showed me appreciation for the hard job I had to get through. Those are the moments we'll cherish the most. No one on their deathbed says, you know, bring me the, bring me the financial statement. i got to look at it one more time. No, <laughs> That's right. They what, will not. What they want is to know, have I made a difference in the lives of people? And as a believer, we're called to do that. But here's the great news. If you don't know Christ, if you've never confessed that he's your Savior, that's what the Scripture teaches us, that he died for us, that we can have eternity. We can have eternity with him by confessing him as our Lord and Savior. But even even as valuable and as important as that is, he's going to walk with you right now, walk with you through this tough journey of life, and give meaning and purpose to your life. And I encourage you today, if you've never made that commitment, that confession of Christ in your life, you can do it right now. And then, you know, communicate with Jim. Be part of, of I Work For Him Nation, and you'll grow as a believer in Christ, and you'll grow in your business. Barry, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, Jim, I loved it. Thank you. All right, it was awesome. And if you want to tell me, if you want to make that decision to follow Christ, be a Christ follower, just email me, jim at iworkforhim.com, jim at iworkforhim.com. You know, we learned today that our faith can impact our workplace really by just investing in the people that work alongside of us or work for us, by giving them being open, creating a relationship with them, by investing a gift of time that invigorates the people we work with, but also listening, creating an atmosphere where people know that when they speak, you will actually hear what they have to say, that you would learn to encourage people, the power of a leader's words to encourage them but also to make sure that you are showing them appreciation. We talk about that a lot on the show, all the time, managing by appreciation. Remember, there's an epic battle for the souls of our coworkers and employees. We, The enemy takes it very, very seriously. We need to take it seriously. Consider joining the I Work For Him Nation tonight and start praying for your coworkers and employees tomorrow. Go out to iWorkForHim.com, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower, and I own my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.